Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Sarant, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So today, with Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby under a microscope, we're going to look at the R class structure some more and also look at where Ruby saves class methods. And that will close off chapter five. And if we've got time, we'll start to dig into chapter six, looking at how Ruby implements modules. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find this week's reading? I loved it. I loved it <laughs> so much. It made me so happy. I felt like I was so I was so comfortable with everything. Like I feel like I was comfortable with the wow. concepts. Everything was familiar. It wasn't like a oh boy, here we go type of thing. It was like, oh, I I know this town. I've been here before. Wow. But but even though I've been there before, Pat just showed me things that I never <laughs> noticed. I never knew. I always assumed it worked one way. And then he was like, actually, it does this whole other thing. So it was absolutely delightful. What about you? Wow. I mean, I was nowhere near on that scale of excitement. Uh, I enjoyed the reading. I thought it was good. I think it's funny. I think you really appreciate this idea of something that's familiar But like you said, we're still learning new things about it. Whereas for me, I guess I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. I'm looking forward to finding out more because I know what this stuff is. But I wasn't necessarily that excited about it. Mm. But I thought it was like a really well-structured, well-laid-out reading. And I am excited to read more of Chapter 6. And that was the thing. It was well done from a purely teaching perspective you know he laid out the problems he established the way we probably think about it and then he showed he course corrected he showed what part of that thinking was wrong so it was very well structured but I think the reason why I like the familiar is it's not so much that it's familiar it's that a lot of times when people in general explain things that are entirely new it ends up being very disorienting Mm. because you have to skip a lot of things and make a lot of assumptions and ignore this and ignore that. So as a student, I just kind of feel like I'm I'm blindfolded and I'm trying to navigate this world. I don't even know where I am. So it's just it's just too disorienting for me. So I think it's harder to to pull that off well as a teacher. Whereas when you're taking something that the student kind of already knows and you're adjusting it, you're fixing it, you're switching it up. I think that's just much easier to do in terms of execution. Great. So shall we uh, dig into this some more? Yeah, let's do it. So this section is called the actual R-class structure. And I remember, you know, being very curious about what this section would contain because I thought we'd already looked at the R-class structure. And I remember that last week we were going on about how great it was how uh, Pat built up the R-class structure for us and that he, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he took the time to introduce one box at a time. And by the end, we had this complex looking thing. And so when I saw the actual R-class structure, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. So it turns out that although at the end of the last uh, reading, we were left with this one big box, which had everything that an R-class structure contained. So things like the class pointer, the the class instance variables and class variables, the superclass variables. Turns out it's not all in one big structure. And there are actually two separate structures that are, represent each class. So one is R-class and the other one is something called an rb underscore class ext, ext underscore struct. So an RB class ext struct. 
and they act as one large structure because in the R-class structure, the one that we sort of started to look at last week, um, there is actually something called a pointer in there represented by PTR and that has a, a corresponding RB-class extract. So there's a one-to-one relationship between those two things. And it turns out that the reason why the Ruby core team decided to use these two different structures is because they probably wanted to save internal values that they didn't want to expose in the public Ruby extension API. And the way I read this, it sounded like this was a hunch from Pat as opposed to this is definitely why, right? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Maybe think, did he ask someone that or like someone from the core team that or kind of put that in there for us to think about later when he revisits it? Well, it's just because he sort of said, in fact, they probably created it to do this as opposed to this is why this exists. Anyway, so let's look at figure 5.21. So we've got the R-class structure at the top, and it has a value pointer pointing in, just how every single R object does. And Pat says here that Ruby always accesses classes using these value pointers. And then we've got a series of fields. So we have our R basic structure inside the R class structure, which has the flags and the class with a K, which is a class pointer for that R class object. Then we also have M underscore table, which is the method table. And that's got the hash where the keys are the names of the method and the values point to the definition. So these might be definitions that we've written in our Ruby code. Um, and they also include the compiled Yav instructions. We also have the IV index table, and that's the attribute names table that we've discussed previously, where we have a hash that maps each instance variable name to the index of the attributes value. The value lives in the R object. Remember, it lives in each instance. And then we have the pointer value, which points to the RB class X struct. And inside this structure, we've got super, which is the superclass pointer that we discussed last week. We've also got IV table, and that's the class level instance variables. Uh, we have constant table, and so those are the constants that live on the class. We've got origin, and that's something that's used by the prepend method in the module class, and we're going to discuss that in chapter six. Then we've got a refined class, and that's used to implement refinements, and we're going to discuss this in chapter nine, and I was surprised, I didn't know we were going to give this more thought, but that's that's interesting. And then we also have something called allocator, and that's what Ruby uses to allocate memory for new objects. So figure 5.21 you know, shows us what an R-class structure really looks like. Imagine if we had seen this right at the beginning of chapter 5. Mm-mm. Or at the beginning of when we started talking about R-class. It would have been, you know, that whole thing of, where do I look? Where do I start? But by, right, but by yeah, this exactly. point... Because it would have been he, way too much. Right, because he took so much time to tell us what the class pointer was, the method table, the instance variable index table. You know, we did last week the class level instance variable and the class variables. Like we know what all of these things mean and where they live. And so to mm-hmm. then take it to the next level and show us this this structure, it wasn't so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, um, it was really appreciated that Pat laid it out that way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how I felt too. And that's that's kind of what I was saying in the beginning with the whole disorienting nature of new worlds, like the way that he built this up and started from a place where we could all understand and agree on and then slowly got to a place where it could have been really intimidating, but instead we're like, yeah, that's exactly what our basic has and that's exactly what our object, you know, everything is very familiar. And so it was really awesome. So when I was looking at this section, there were a couple questions I had. One of the things that I've noticed with this book is, well, first of all, there's a lot of terminology and lots of 
you know, new、mm. words and ideas. But they all kind of sound familiar. So I'm always like, have we have we talked about this before? Is this totally new? I'm not sure. So with the Ruby C extension API, have we talked about that before? I don't think so. Okay, I didn't think so either. I sort of hazarded a guess at what that was, which is basically an API in C to make calls like to the Ruby language or、right. to make changes to the Ruby、right. language. And there are certain things they just don't want to expose because that will really mess with how the language functions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we can't be trusted with some of these,、uh, <laughs> some of these methods.、Um, and then for things like origin, refined class, and allocator, Never have we talked about no, those? No, this okay, is the first、yeah. time that those things have come up. And I think for each of okay, apart from allocate, the the other two,、um, we are going to go into more detail on those. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure about that. So next, we're going to look at experiment five dash two, which says where does Ruby save class methods? And I like just love the way that he.、Ah, I just love this reading. Okay, so here this was good. This was good. Yeah, this was good, right? Okay, so here we visit our mathematician class. So in this example, we're going to look at our class mathematician, and we're going to look at the method first name. So we have class mathematician def first name, and then inside that method we have at first name end end. And so here, as we talked about before, we know that this method、uh, is going to be saved in the method table. So now we want to figure out, okay, so what happens to our class methods? So here in listing five dash eighteen, we look at how we make a class method, and again, we're looking at class mathematician, and then the method we have is def self dot class method. Inside that, we have puts string. This is a class method. End end. And so here, Pat is just showing us that one way that we can define a class method is using def self and just putting it directly in the class. Then there is a second way that we can also create a class method, which is shown in listing five dash nineteen. And here we have class mathematician, and then inside we have class shovel self. That sounds so weird. Def class <laughs> yeah, method. Yeah, shovel yourself. <laughs> shovel yourself. Okay. Class shovel self def class method and then inside we have puts string. This is a class method end end end, and so I don't know if I've seen this before. If I have, it definitely I've definitely never actually have, used it before. But I've but never used it. You have okay because it's just yeah, weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't like, probably understand it, so I never do. Yeah,、it. I was like, now we have an extra end, and、oh, yeah, I don't like that at all. So、uh, yeah, so Pat shows us just two different ways that we can make a class method. So now we have to figure out, okay, where is it actually saved? So we explore a couple options. The first option is, well, you know, could it be in the same methods table? And that doesn't actually make sense. So if we look at an example, we have obj equals mathematician dot new, and then we have obj dot class underscore method. So basically, we're trying to call that. Class method on the instance of mathematician dot new, and we get an undefined method class, which is to be expected. And it says undefined method class method for mathematician for the instance of mathematician. And this basically proves that it can't be saved in our regular methods table because if it was, then it would be accessible to our instances, and it's not, so that can't be where it's saved. So the other option is to look at the mathematician's class and see if the method is saved in that method table. So we look at Figure Five Dash Twenty Two, and it shows us, or it reminds us, how the different classes relate. So first, we have a R class structure for mathematician, and we have a class with the with the letter K, pointing to another R class structure, which is for class with a regular C, capital C. And then in that R class structure, we have M underscore table, so that method table, 
And that points to a table that includes the class method. So this and is just point out, this is speculative. So he's saying, shouldn't it look like this? Right. So if the class method were saved in the method table of class with a capital C, which is the mathematician's class, yes. <laughs> <laughs> lots of classes, mm-hmm. then that's the way it would look. So let's see if that actually works. So we have class, another class, end, and then we call another class dot class method. And here we get another undefined method. It says undefined method, class method for another class. So if that structure we described previously was how it worked, then we would not get an undefined method class method and another class would have access to that method, but it doesn't. So that can't be how it is saved. So Pat asks again, okay, so where do the class methods actually go? So this is the point where I was like, oh my God. And I think I tweeted exactly at this moment. I'm now reliving this and I'm realizing something that I should have given this reading more credit for than I did because of this particular part. Oh yeah? Okay. I'll explain afterwards. I'm I'm excited for you to be more excited. Okay. Okay. So so in listing 5-20... We do an interesting little experiment. <laughs> I we... can hear the excitement in your voice. I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. you've not been this excited since you read this book. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so excited for learning. Okay. So in listing 5-20, we call count objects, which is a method I don't think I've seen before, on object space. So we're in IRB. We have object space, capital O, capital S, dot count objects. And we are calling the symbol colon T underscore class, and the T class is in all caps. And we get the value 859. Then we create a new class. We create the mathematician class. So we call class mathematician colon end, and we get a return value of nil, which we can just ignore. And then we call object space dot count objects with the symbol T class again, and this time we get 861, which is like, what's happening? So... What is weird about this is we, it looks like we only created one class, but instead we created two. We went from 859 objects to 861. So now the question is, what is that second thing that we made? So it turns out that whenever you create a new class, internally Ruby creates two classes. One is the just the regular mathematician class, but the second is a hidden class called the meta class. And Ruby does this in order to save any class methods that you might create for this new class. And in fact, when we had that class pointer with the capital K, it's actually pointing to this meta class. And at that point, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. But the next part is what made me go, (gasps) okay, I'm going to pause there. Okay, so before you go into the next part, (gasps) you're so good at the suspense and storytelling, aren't you? (laughs) I want to interject with my thinking at this point. So the bit where it says... In fact, Ruby sets the meta class to be the class of your new class. It sets the class pointer of your new R class structure to point to the meta class. At this point, I wrote a note. So I had this experience in physics, biology, and chemistry classes. You know, you start at 12 in secondary school, and you learn a bunch of stuff when you're, you know, you go through the early teens. And then you get to, like, the age of 16, and you start class, and your teacher starts it by saying, well, you know that stuff we taught you over the last five years? That was a lie. This is how it really is. Yep. And then it happened again in eight, <laughs> at the age 18. And then it also happens again at university. And I feel like Pat just pulled a mini version of that on us, Aww. where to keep it simple, yeah. 
he told us, oh, it just points to the, the, the class, class thing. It just points to the class object. And we were like, okay, cool, cool. And actually, he's like, nah, really, it's this. And you know how yeah. uh, we've been talking a lot through reading this book around this idea of how you introduce things. And there have been times before we've, we've been frustrated because we felt like there's been a lot of things introduced and it's all in our face. And it's like, which stuff do we care about and which not? This whole thing of chapter five has just been like a masterclass in like, I'm going to introduce a whole load of new stuff, but I'm going to like build it up in such a way that it's never yes. overwhelming. And mm. even at the end, I'm going to totally switch it up, but it's still not going to be totally crazy. And even just this last experiment, right? Where he was like, where do we save it? Well, let's, it was almost like a, you know, the scientific method where we're like, well, how many mm -hmm. objects are there? Let's do the object space. Then we yes. see there's two. So, and that was brilliant. And, and the other thing that I was like, yeah, I should appreciate this reading more is the number of times that people have told me about things like the meta class and the singleton class. And I could never in my head really consider conceptually understand what that was over right. the years this is the first time I have properly understood what the singleton class was I mean I've yes. googled it before I've listened to talks about it and now I get it and it's purely through this build-up and that experiment absolutely and that what you said about the singleton class that was the thing that made me go oh because what we do is, so first of all, Pat kind of admits and says, you know, without really writing the C code, it's really hard to see how this works. But we do a little experiment where we look at class mathematician end, and then we print mathematician and we get a return value with mathematician. But then we print mathematician not singleton class, and we get this return value that reads hashtag. It's called a hashtag. <laughs> What do you call a pound you symbol? You just continue, okay? You just continue. You're just, you're so British. Okay. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag left angle bracket, class colon mathematician, right angle bracket. And here, the return value of that singleton class method is the object's meta class, Whoa. which I never knew before. I always thought, like, every time I've seen that return value, I've always thought, oh, I guess that's just the class. Ruby's <laughs> fancy way of, yeah, it's just like, it's like it's like Ruby being quirky. Oh, look at Ruby trying to be cute. You know, that, that, that's always how I read it. And I'm like, no, it's actually an entirely different thing. It's the meta class. And that was the moment where I, I, I was so excited. And your mind was blown. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, going through this with you, I'm like, yeah, this was a pretty breakthrough reading for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Converted you. Know, you. I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I think I read it during I read it during my lunch break at work yesterday, and it was like a ah, oh, let's get my Ruby Book Club reading done. But no, <laughs> and, I, and I, did, I wasn't feeling very well, so that's probably it. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. We Pat and I forgive you. <laughs> We're glad you've you've come over to Team Excited. And then we have the brilliant figure five dash two three. And for me, this was I got to this diagram, and I was like, this is a great representation of exactly what's going on. Yeah. So I'll go from left to right, and we start with our R object, so Euler. So that's like the instance of mathematician that we created at the beginning of this chapter. And you see, that's also what's great about this section. We, we've got a final diagram which goes right back to the very beginning of this chapter and is going to end mm -hmm. with what we've just learned. So, so, mm -hmm. so back to the diagram, we've got Euler on the left like as a label and that represents an R object structure with um, the class pointer inside. And that class pointer points to an R class structure, which is the mathematician R class structure. And inside we have um, R basic with a class pointer. And um, we'll get to where that's pointing in a second. And then we also have a method table pointer. And we see the, the four methods that we defined. So first name equals first name, 
last name equals last name. And in case that was a confusing way of saying it, we've basically got the getter and setter methods for first name and last name. And then going back to the class pointer, which lives within the R basic structure of the mathematician R class structure, <laughs> that points <laughs> to the R class structure of the meta class, which is that whole hashtag class mathematician yes. thing. <laughs> and inside that we have R basic, which has a class pointer. I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong, that points to the class with a capital C. Could be wrong. I was wondering me. that. But let's not worry about that, that for yeah. now. And then we have a method table, which we see points to like, it's probably a hash. And the the only thing in there is class underscore method. So that's where that class method that we defined lives. And if we want to see all of the methods of the the class class, um, as well as the new class method for mathematician, then we can do p obj dot singleton underscore class dot methods. And then in there, we see our class method. Mm-hmm. So just to confirm, is Pat saying that to see all the meta class and also the methods on class with a capital C class, it's that one method? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I assumed it was trying to show us where where that class method lived and where we can find all the other methods like it. That's what I understood. So if we make a class object, if we make a class method, oh, my tummy just rumbled. So if we make a class method on obj, we can confirm that it's actually part of the singleton class by calling methods on singleton class. Actually, I just realized obj, I just flicked back a few pages, is equal to mathematician.new. So we're basically accessing the superclass. I got confused. Oh, I totally missed that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I got confused, though, because the text before, at least in my version, says, we'll see all the methods of the class class, and the first class is a capital C. And I thought we had just discussed right. how that's not in the picture anymore. Yeah. Yeah, mine says that, too. I think that might be a typo. Yeah. Because I think he wants to say on the meta class. Right. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Cool. And that is the end of chapter five. So we have a summary that is very exciting. It, it is, actually. <laughs> it is, because it's like, oh, wow, we really did do all these things. And I remember all these things. So in the summary, we talk about how in this chapter, we looked at the R object structure and that it's actually pretty simple. It just contains a pointer to the object's class and a table of instance variables. We talk about the definition of Ruby objects that's based on the simplicity of the R object structure. And that definition reads, every Ruby object is the combination of a class pointer and an array of instance variables. So pretty, pretty uh, expected, mm-hmm. has to be expected, to be expected. <laughs> and then we have, <laughs> editor, pick one of those. Um <laughs> And it's you. <laughs> Damn it. So you can choose which one you want. <laughs> okay. And then we talk about how Ruby uses special C structures to represent things that are very common. And we refer to these as built in Ruby classes called generic objects. So we looked at our string structure, our array, our regexp, which is for regular expressions, and uh, a few others. And then we talk about how. Ruby classes are, they're still objects, but they're a little bit different, a little bit more complex. We also talk about how Ruby saves some simple values, such as small integers and symbols, and it does so without using a C structure. And then we talk about Ruby classes and how even though Ruby classes are still objects, they're a little bit more complex. And our final definition that we ended with is a Ruby class is a Ruby object that also contains method definitions, attribute names, a superclass pointer, and a constants table. So a lot of extra stuff in there. 
We also talk about how Ruby classes are made up of really two parts. We have the R class, but also something called RB underscore class X underscore struct. We look at, man, we, we just keep going. We've learned so much in chapter five. <laughs> we talk about the difference between a class's instance variables and class variables and how Ruby distinguishes between the two, even though they're in the same hash table. Pop quiz. Oh, gosh. Yes. Can we remember what the difference is between a class instance variable and a class variable? In terms of the definition or how it's stored? Definition. And then maybe we can go. Let's just do definition. Okay. A class instance variable is only accessible is like an instance variable, but it's only accessible to the class. And it's the same symbol as like the app, but it's defined on the like the class mm-hmm. scope instead of within a method. And the class variable is um, accessible to like the whole class. Including subclasses. Right. I think that's it. Cool. And can be redefined that way as well. Yes. Yeah. Nailed it. And when Ruby looks for the definition of class variables, it searches up the... It checks above to see where it's been defined mm-hmm. in the in the superclasses as well. Yes, exactly. We know so many things. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we looked at where the class stores certain things. So we found out that it contains a series of hash tables that stores their methods, the object-level instance variables, and constants. And then finally, we talk about how Ruby records its superclass using the super pointer. You know what's missing from this summary? The stuff we just talked about. And that was my favorite stuff. <laughs> well, why do you think that's missing, Saran? Like that. You think by the time you get the summary, maybe you wouldn't have forgotten what you just read. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but who knows? <laughs> Pat had more faith in me than I had faith in me. That's, who knows? That's maybe he will stop just before the summary and think, oh, I'll come back next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> and read the summary. But yeah, you're right. I think he's bundling that all up into the super pointer thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so I don't think we're going to have time for chapter six today. No, I don't think so. This is a very a meaty reading. It'll be too much for everyone to go into chapter six. Let's pick it up next week. Sounds good. So I'm torn because coming into this, you know, I was going to give this reading an eight. But then I realized that after discussing it with you, we, there were some big bombshells and things I wanted to learn and remember, like know for a long time. So you know what? I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going to say it was a nine. Ooh, and also I think this nine nice. also reflects the quality of chapter five. Like chapter five yes. was just on yes. another level. It was on. Awesome so chapter. nine. What about you? I'm going to give it a 10. Whoa. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna- <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. We have our first 10, people. We have our first 10. I don't even know what to do with myself. We should just close the podcast because it can't get better than this. Just shut it down. Just don't even read any more of this book. No more episodes. Like, just stop. And I know the 10 also includes a bit of the beginning of chapter six as well. So it's looking good for yeah, next week. That's true. Yes, it is a 10. And I debated against this because I've given nines before. I you think have. I've given maybe two nines. And I've been holding off on the 10. And I thought like, oh, maybe I'll give it a 9.5 in case there's a better reading. <laughs> hey, we didn't and I was like, you know what? Marks. Mm. That's, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It's against the rules. But I said, you know what? Pat's earned it. This reading is amazing. I was so excited about it. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. This is a ten for me. Well, there you go. You know, it's funny if you map out the scores between the two of us. I feel like the range of scores also reflects our personalities. Like, I feel like I've get like my range is like a three to ten. I feel and like I'm you're, very steady. You're you're like a five to nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I'm yeah, just kind yeah, of yeah, all exactly. over the place. You're right. <laughs> Five to eight more like, actually. You've been talking about holding off of a 10. I've been talking about holding off on a nine (laughs) for the last, like, month. I have very strong emotional reactions to learning. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I love it, too, and get so excited by it. That's why we're doing this. 
Yes, exactly. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!